back to the Encounter Mercy podcast. I'm Father Andy Boyd here with the lead, the head, the number one, my number one man, the man with the ideas and the plan, the one that gets me scheduled and keeps making sure I'm going the right way. That is none other than Vince Dragone. Vince, it's good to see you again. Yeah, that was completely unnecessary, but oh, I guess I'll take it. Entirely true, though. <sighs> so what's going on? Oh, not much. Just enjoying the evening. I have the dog staring up at me. I think he wants a treat, but he does. He definitely doesn't need it. My people here in the parish will know he, he doesn't need all these treats, but he keeps begging for it and uh, just enjoying a nice little taste of Sambuca sitting here relaxing. How about you? Well, I have an old fashioned. Does that mm. count? Oh, definitely. Uh, that sounds excellent. I hurt my back the other day, so I'm not really doing what? anything. I'm kind of laid up. I don't know what I did. Just getting uh, old, I guess. <laughs> I know that feeling. I haven't been able to sleep in a, over a year now. Anyway, so what? Where does it hurt? What's going on? Everything. My back, my lower back. Uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Well, I, I kind of know. I was uh, I shot a, vi- uh, a video, and I'm pretty sure carrying all that heavy grip gear, lighting stands, all that stuff, um, did it but it didn't start bothering me until after I got home. And uh, it's just been slowly getting worse since then. And that was last Thursday. So yeah. it's been a week now. Yeah, that's that's <clears> no <throat> fun. Uh, I found the only thing that helps my back anymore is ice. I thought it would be heat. I've always thought it should be heat. But no, ice really seems to be my only cure. Well, so yeah, I hurt this part of my back a couple of years ago lifting weights. And I went to some orthopedic doctor and he said don't use heat on whatever it is that i have it's, it's a tendon issue and it's the exact same pains yeah. i'm assuming that's what it is he said don't use heat uh it'll just make it worse and what did i do last night because i forgot because it's been use a couple of years heat. i used heat and then I, I couldn't move that yeah i i'm not surprised by that at all because that's kind of like the same thing that i was having i love the fact that i don't know if they can hear this but i hear your dog and i think you heard mine they're both shaking it's it's that time of the day my gosh yeah like, just yeah, his uh, couldn't stop scratching. You'd think he's got fleas or something. The same with poor Henry. But, um, well, tell me, uh, you know, I, I've been meaning to ask you this for a while. You were growing grapes this past year, and you were, I, did you get to make some wine? And how's that process going? So this was only year two, so you really don't get a, uh, you really don't get a crop for the first, yeah, three years or so. Okay. Uh, I mean, you get a crop, but I had. Um, in order, you have to prune back some of the fruit in order for it to really grow. Sure. So I left, I left on like one, um, I don't, I forget exactly what they're called. This is my, I'm just started growing these things, uh, like a bushel of, of grapes. It wasn't a bushel because a bushel is a certain amount, but just one area, one, one area of grapes on each plant, just so I could get an idea what they taste like, because these are different varieties than I've ever actually had a chance to, to try. So they turned out pretty good. Um, they're growing slower in certain areas of the vineyard than I want. It's a, it's really weird. I have uh, two rows that are 50 feet long. And so the, the first 25 feet on the north side of it, uh, they're, they're growing great. But the exact opposite side on the south side of the 25 feet is just horrible. They're, ah. they're not even long enough to trellis yet. So I'm not sure if it's a 
if it's a sunlight issue, if it's a soil issue, I'm not sure why the front half is doing well, but the back half isn't. And it's yeah. not like it's not like it's an acre long. It's only right. 50 feet. So something is going weird, but I don't know what. Well, let's hope for a better crop this upcoming year or the upcoming years, because uh, I'm looking forward to trying some of that wine. Did you did you say you made a, a strawberry wine at one point? No, I never did strawberry. I did peach. Uh, okay. Oh, peach. That's what it was. I remember hearing about that one. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, that had to sit for over a year just to clear because peaches are wow. so pulpy, I guess. Yeah. I don't know how else to describe it. So you really have to let it sit to clear out. Wow. Wow. But I didn't it, realize it turned that. Out really, turned out really nice. As soon as you have to back sweeten it a little bit. Uh, but once you do that, it tastes like you're biting into a peach. That's, that's, that sounds really good. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be all over that. And, uh, I ended up kegging that for some reason and carbonating it. And it turned out really good. I have a little bit left if you come over. Well, we'll have to fix that soon. Very soon. Well, moving from wine, but not obviously with yours, grape wine into, uh, a little conversation that we're going to talk a little bit about, which is the blood of Christ, but more specifically, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And uh, what I'm getting at in a very, very poor attempt of a transition. I was another See, random. If, if you didn't, if you didn't bring it up that way, people would have just went with it. Uh, but well, I know to bring attention to it. Oh, I wanted to bring attention to it because I also wanted to talk about another podcast uh, that I was listening to today, um, and they were talking about uh, having to do transitions, and the guy did a horrible transition, and then he's like, yeah, you just if you just pr pretend like it's the best transition ever, everybody that's listening like, yeah, I don't know why that makes sense, but yeah, it makes sense. It's a great transition, but this one actually made sense uh, that I made because we were talking about wine, and I have to use wine at mass to turn into the blood of Christ, so that does make sense, but uh, we were going to talk a little bit about today the Eucharistic revival, kind of like a connection to last week's episode. If you listened a little bit uh, to last week's episode, we talked about Blessed Carlo Acutis, who is, um, I think, essentially the lead blessed, not yet a saint, and we pray that he becomes a saint, of the Eucharistic revival in the United States. And in this uh, time of revival, uh, we talked about why he is so important to our teaching of the Eucharist right now because of his cataloging of all the Eucharistic miracles. But now we want to talk about this week, this Eucharistic revival and what exactly that means. Yeah. So the Eucharistic revival. So this is something that's happening just in the United States, what the United States uh, conference of Catholic bishops came together Um I, th I think it was in uh, response to that Pew poll that came out a couple years ago, if I'm not mistaken, or at least yeah. part of it that, that drove this, um, to to really bring the Eucharist to the forefront of Catholics in the United States and to create a revival. And a revival is more than just a, an event that happens. It's, 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 there's a deeper meaning to that. And, um, and, and there's a, there's a lot more that goes into it. It's a very large campaign and, and it, and it's attempt to, to bring Catholics together to understand and to have a greater appreciation for the Eucharist. Um, so it's broken down into what, three years. Yeah. If I know, yeah. If I remember correctly. 
started this past June and will go until uh, the Eucharistic Congress in July of 2024, if I do believe so. Right, in yes. Indianapolis, yeah, in the in the one stadium that they have there yeah. right, for a big, a real big event. Um, but what's, what's really cool about it is, you know, there's, there it's sure it's, it's broken down into three years and there's kind of themes for each year, if you will. But for the most part, um, dioceses and parishes are kind of free to do a lot of kind of what they want. It's, they're not forced to do a certain program, right? It's, right. I think the, honestly, a great way to describe it is what Bishop Andrew Cousins says, uh, and, reason why I specifically am tapping on his words is because he is the chairman of the Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis who is uh, leading this. And he says specifically, we want to start a fire, not a program. You know, we talk about that that theme of fire a lot, right? Starting a fire, uh, set ourselves on fire for Christ. Uh, St. Paul talks about uh, the fire that we are to set ourselves ablaze so that others can come and watch you know, and and cousins, Bishop Cousins ha- hits the nail on the head with we want to start a fire, not a program, because programs don't really do much. Programs are uh, time and labor intensive, and usually produce very little fruit. What the USCCB has really asked us to do is to go back to the basics. And for instance, right now the. June of 2022 through June of 2023, the year that we're currently in, which is the year one of this revival, asks for a diocesan revival and specifically uh, asking as dioceses and the priests to come together and focus on how do we teach the Eucharist and explain the Eucharist. As we would know for most part, for those who are listening to the podcast, the Eucharist is the source and summit of all of our beliefs. The Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us the Eucharist is the source and summit, that everything that we believe comes forth from and flows back to the Eucharist. And so as it being the hallmark of our faith, as it being the highest point, we need to really come to understand what the Eucharist is, not just in the fact that it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, but how Christ, through his Eucharist, interacts with us in on a personal, intimate, and even daily level. And so right now we're going through this idea of um, the diocesan revival and how to, as a diocese, the bishop and the priests, how we need to really focus on the Eucharist ourselves so that we can then bring it to our people. Yeah, and then in, what, in year two, it goes on to the, the parish level. Right. And so is that going to be, um, can you give us some examples of, you know, maybe what your parish might be planning if you have, I mean, I know it's a little early. Well, and it's funny because we're already having to start planning that. Um, it, we were just talking about that at our deanery meeting because um, one of the things that we want to do is uh, as a diocese, you know, this isn't just the bishop saying, we want you to do this. No, no, this is the priest saying, we need to do this well and we need to organize this well. And what we're planning on doing is, taking this um, time of Eucharistic revival to be uh, coordinated so that it's, yes, each parish is going to have a responsibility to it, but then we can work together as parishes because, as you know, Vince working for the diocese, there's just not enough priests to go around. And so if we can coordinate together 
and try to work together on many of these different uh, activities and things, it's going to make a much better experience for everybody. So for instance, in my parish, we're already planning to have some sort of 40 hours devotion. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that devotion to Vince, but uh, the devotion of 40 hours is Eucharistic adoration for roughly 40 hours in a parish. It would begin on Sunday after the last Mass and for three days have Eucharistic adoration. And during that time, uh, there is benediction every night during evening prayer, and a speaker comes to preach. Usually it's uh, it's just another priest from the area, or sometimes you get a um, speaker in that is uh, you know, a well-known speaker, or even sometimes not a not a speaker that's well known, but one who is holy comes in and talks about, you name it, the topic. Right now, of course, the idea is to talk about the Eucharist and its importance. So, uh, at some point in the next, uh, from June of 2023 through June of 2024, and once we start it, I don't intend to stop it. So my hope is that it becomes a yearly thing in my parish where uh, we can come together to celebrate the Eucharist and talk about the Eucharist and of its importance in our daily lives. Yeah, and I, I know a lot of parishes around, at least our diocese, are, um, you know, in relation to the podcast we did last week, are, are putting out Carlo Acutis's um, uh, displays that he had on his website of Eucharistic miracles. And I, I, that's really starting to take off. And so that's just one example of something that uh, your parish could do, or you su- could suggest Absolutely. suggest in your parish if you know if, if you if you if you feel the need to do so um, to uh, to to be able to have. And again, like I said, it, it's really taking off at least around our diocese. A lot of parishes are starting to do it. There's a lot of really good feedback, and a lot of people are really interested and they're they're hungry for this. Yes. Yes, it is something that we are definitely seeing a greater interest in. Um, it may have not been well advertised in the beginning, but I can definitely say that people are starting to recognize it and realize it. Um, one of the ways that our diocese has really um, taken this on on an uh, individual level is when the bishop asked us in October to celebrate a Sunday specifically for the Eucharist, uh, You know, we did special things throughout the diocese on that Sunday altogether so that we could that really hit the people here in my parish was I asked um, a young gentleman, uh, I think he's in all of sixth grade, who knows all about Blessed Carlo and all about the Eucharistic miracles and has a great love and devotion to the Eucharist to get up and talk in front of all of our faith formation families and, in fact, anybody that wanted to come to it. And we had people coming from parishes near and far to this special day on the Eucharist. And his witness as a young man having such great devotion and faith to the Holy Eucharist uh, was absolutely outstanding. And everybody said how wonderful of a day it was just to get together and chat. But most importantly, I think what helped that was having a young person and look at me, 30 years of age, saying, oh, a young person. But still, he's 15, you know, whatever he is. What would uh, what would be a sixth grader? Eight, 10, somewhere 15. in there? Did you say 15? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I guess I was a freshman in high school when I was 15, right? Is that right? 
that sounds about right. Oh, those days. Yeah, (laughs) but still, young guy, young kid coming up and talking about the Eucharist and being actually, for in my opinion, he was speaking eloquently. Like he was just very well spoken, um, nervous, but he did such a great job. So I think it's just a wonderful thing to get together as a parish family and have these conversations about the Eucharist. Absolutely. And I, I kind of want to switch over to um, the, I guess, the third year, really. Um, and there's a pilgrimage that's happening that we were just reading about and just talking about before we were recording here. It's it's one. This I, is hilarious. I love I, this. I think it's it, someone can correct this if we're wrong here, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is the biggest Eucharistic uh, procession, Eucharist procession. Uh, in the United States, uh, in United States history, uh, but they're going to be beginning in four different places. So in San Francisco, um, New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, then you're going to be down in. They're going to start in Texas, and then in I think Crookston, um, the Diocese of Crookston, and they're going to be processing with the Eucharist all the way to Indianapolis for the 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 final. Uh, thing within the Eucharistic revival. And what really struck me, and this is an article from the pillar that they did with uh, Bishop Cousins, and they're purchasing four six passenger electric vans that look <laughs> oddly similar to the Pope Mobile. These things are wacky when you look at them. They look like a, a like just a, a large golf cart. I don't know how they're going to, I don't know what kind of range they get or anything like that, but they're kind of interesting. And they're actually going to set up an altar in the back where people can um, kneel in adoration while this thing is driving. And so they're not going to be using these things the whole entire time. They're going to be walking a lot, but in some of those areas where maybe the desert, for example, you're not really going to be able to process through the desert with hundreds of people. This is something that we'll be able to get them through. And it's uh, we'll have to post a picture because this thing is, is pretty wacky looking. Um, yeah, I hope uh, Ed and uh, uh, JD don't mind us borrowing the picture. Oh, we'll make sure this market has contributed. Well, it was it was uh, yeah. <laughs> didn't take the picture anyway. It was contributed to them. Uh, but uh, but anyway, one other it. one other really cool thing that they kind of mentioned here was it's not just a procession. They're not just showing yeah. off their faith. Right. And, 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 a, you know, a procession, uh, does a variety of things, but, um, but one thing they're going to be doing is stopping in some of the major cities and the cities and towns along the way, you know, to be able to help feed the poor, um, to, to, to help others, uh, in need and to really live out the faith, uh, as well as processing and showing their faith, uh, f- as an inspiration to others during this Eucharistic revival. So I think this is, I think it's really cool. It's a very Catholic thing to do. Um, yeah. Eucharistic processions are very Catholic. And this this is something that we haven't had a very Catholic thing in the United States in a long time. And I think this is this is going to be big. Yeah, this is amazing. I mean, I, I laugh at it because it's so ambitious and ridiculous, but in an awesome way. And I, I, I look forward to it. I'm really excited for it to see the um, future of this plan. Uh, you know, I hope to support this as much as possible. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go to the actual Congress, but I definitely want to see 
this continue to go and grow and become something that maybe could become a bi-yearly or tri-yearly basis or something that we can do every so often because this is so important you know and it's not that we've completely ignored the eucharist but i don't think we've done it the service that it needs no that pew poll really tells you exactly what you need to know about what we've been doing uh when it comes to the putting the eucharist at the, the forefront of our of our christian lives really as the source and summit. But uh, to your point about, you know, maybe they'll do this every couple of years and stuff afterwards. I mean, I think they'd have to, to help get their money's worth out of these little vans they're buying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm just reading this part of the pillar article. And again, I'll put the link to this article in the show notes because I think everybody should read this. It says, um, like you said, this is a deeply Catholic thing rooted in Catholic culture. Uh, I think, I'm not sure who wrote this article, but either Ed or uh, JD writes, in fact, one of my friends who's an Eastern Catholic bishop said, I think it's going to be the most powerful thing in a hundred years. And he gives an example of the Byzantine church he's from. He said there was an ancient miraculous icon that they had to remove from a church that was being remodeled. The priests all said, oh, let's just throw it in a pickup truck and take it across town. Now, wait a minute. That, that just sounds like, as we know, icons are so important to the Byzantine church. And if you didn't know that, well, now you do. They're like, they are there's so much theology steeped in them. There's so much love put into them. And to just, to just say, to throw it in a pickup truck and drive across like that, to think about that and then equate it to the Eucharist, to throw the Eucharist in a truck and just drive it. The bishop said, no, we're going to process this thing. Still, the priest said, oh, nobody will come. It's too heavy. Well, according to the bishop, thousands of people came out to process with that icon and there were healings. I mean, that is amazing and we know some of the beautiful things that come forth from the eucharist the healing the power that it has uh just simply being in its presence what it can do what he can do for us and so i think this is going to be like like they said in the article this is going to be the biggest thing in at least 100 years and it's going to bring something to the 21st century as a young adult i think for us especially that we can carry on for decades to tell our children and our children's children and say this this is what we did and now either it's never happened again or it's going to happen again i just think it's a spectacular thing and hopefully someday world youth day comes back to the united states but that's another topic for another day yeah well i think it's a good place to end it um you know we we talked a little bit about what the eucharistic revival is if you haven't already if you didn't already know about it and maybe you learned something a little new uh especially with these uh with this major procession that's happening and at some point in time, this is going to happen a couple of years from now. So um, I guess in 2024, so really a, a year, I guess. Uh, but we'll, we're going to talk about this again, for sure. Absolutely. And it would be really cool if, you know, if one of us can attend. Um, and if, if we not, could go... Then- you- you should be. You should have. You know. You should try to go as a as the working for the diocese, and then oh, if I, I could go, we could take the show on the road. Say, I'm going to try to go. <laughs> Heck yeah! If we could take the show on the road, that would be awesome. Just take this show on the road. Yeah, but well, anyway. nobody knows this, but we can make us known. Anyway, yeah, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we can sit in the back of this van. Maybe it's got air conditioning. That'd be fun. Hey, hey, I'm all about that. You know, fat me. I can't stand for that long or walk for that long. That'd be great. Well, um, you know, if, if you want to learn a little bit more about the Eucharistic revival, we're going to leave some links in the description. Um, and, you know, we, we thank you for joining us and make sure to go on to our social medias and uh, like and subscribe. 
And if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, go ahead and please do so so that this gets sent to you every week. We are now getting back into it and we have episodes every week going forward. And my dog keeps scratching if you can hear him in the background. And luckily Henry's outside and he hasn't barked once, but have a wonderful day. We hope that you are doing well and always give us feedback, send us a note, leave us a comment. Uh, It's good to see so many people listening and having uh, this be a part of your Catholic life. Uh, Let us know what topics you want us to talk about in the future. We're always open to suggestions and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Until then, God bless. God bless you. God bless us, everyone.